Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. We have an awesome episode for you guys today. And I yes, truly believe that every single week, which is probably why we still do this, it is <laughs> fantastic. We have Renee Brinkerhoff from Valkyrie Racing coming on the podcast. And she's done uh, a ton of like La Carrera Pan America races, uh, Peking to Paris, um, the, the Grand Prix of South America, East African Safari Classic. And she's going to be driving her 356 in Antarctica. Arctica. And she also is in charge of Valkyrie Gives, a very important charity. And we're going to talk to her a lot about that as well. It is it, an incredible interview. It's, it, it really is. And I, I'm proud that I was following her. I discovered her on Instagram first and I sent it to you yeah. of this car. That was all over. Well, when you sent it to me, I went, well, that's a render. Right. Because and then it, I was like, no, 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 no. Look into it. It is a 356 with essentially tank treads yeah and the last time i saw anything like this was i was at the uh the wolfsburg museum from okay. the volkswagen museum in wolfsburg yeah Not the big museum that's all like glitzy and glamorous and glass everywhere and cars okay. with lights on them and stuff like this this is the secret museum Ooh. in wolfsburg it's probably a three kilometer walk we'll use kilometers because we're talking about wolfsburg okay it's probably a three kilometer walk away from the factory and it's this little brick building, uh-huh. and all that's on it is, like, there's no sign outside. It's a little Volkswagen symbol on the door. They have the – there's no gift shop. It's just, like, you can buy a couple little model cars if you want. Okay. But you go in there, and there was uh, – there's all kinds of stuff. There's – have you ever heard of the Duraco? No. The Duraco is a – Is that a dual-engine Duraco? It is. There's a 16-valve <laughs> in the front, and there's a 16-valve engine in the back. And they have all these cool cars there, all these cool concepts. There's there's a, tuar- a Touareg. With right. uh, with tank treads on it, all four wheels. So it's yeah. like these big. It's this big, massive thing. I don't know what they did with it. We could probably look it up and find out. Yeah. And they also have the the two or one. The other one did not survive. The Volkswagen Rabbits that went from Alaska to Tierra del Fuego. At yes. The bottom of, th- that car is there. You can walk up and you can see it. It is the. Does it have museum. the mud on it? No, it's clean. Oh. It's clean, but it's got the big picture of the yeah. map on the hood and everything like That's that. Cool. And there's all kinds of crazy stuff there. So I saw one of the point is I saw that's the first time I've ever seen one of these tank tread things, but it's really uncommon. So when I saw it, I was like, that is 356. It's not real. Yeah, it's not no, real yeah, because yeah. renders are everywhere now. Exactly. It's, it's you look at stuff when stuff seems wild. I just go, eh, it's not real. Yep. It's this is real. Yeah. It is. It is. It is. And it is incredible. And Renee's story is incredible. She Renee started is doing this. Awesome. She started doing this stuff at 57 years old. Yeah. It's finally went, you know what? I'm going to do this. And it's just proof that there's, it's never too late to start exploring. Right. You know, you can start doing it tomorrow. Obviously, we're not all going on the La Carrera Pan America unless uh, Jake ponies up a bunch of money. <laughs> but you can do other things. You can come on the Overcrest Rally. That's come right. on the Overcrest Rally. That can be your Carrera Pan America. It's just as long as you're doing something. You know, I'm always exactly. talking about, you know, stepping your foot outside the, over the threshold of what you're comfortable with. Whatever that may be. Even small steps. She decided to just... Uh, this was not a step out of the threshold. This was a giant leap across the lawn, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. All right, before we get into it, what have you got for us? Yeah, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiasts, all the car guys and girls in your life. And with holidays coming up, it's that time. It's a perfect gift. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, a Apparel, including t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts we have from them, garage gear, stickers, publications. I've destroyed my sweatshirt because I wear it in the well, garage. I see you in the garage under like Niagara Falls of oil. I had, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, so when I'm going to work on a car underneath the car, I'm going to be really, really dirty. Yeah. I wear a hoodie so I can flip my hoodie up and put my head on the ground. Okay. So that I, I happen to know you have some very nice working coveralls that you should be wearing instead. Yeah, but they don't cover my head. The point is to flip it up so my head isn't laying in oil, so my head is off the ground. That's you need like a full like canvas onesie. You know what? The, you know what I need is to just use my creeper when oh, I'm underneath well, the car. That would work but the too. problem is, is the creepers are great, but you you're always really close to the car. It's always right in front of you, and then you're oh, adding. It's too bad you don't have a hoist. Yeah. Yeah. Can I Petro, don't have that can, problem. Well, can, if Pet Robot should put a hoist oh, in the box. That would be amazing. That'd be great. Yeah, just little, send you like one bolt at a time. Yeah, it's, except it's <laughs> no, it's like those little little toys with the pills that you put in the water, and then we come back in the morning, and it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> it could be like that, but a hoist. I like <laughs> Let's that. Let's go. Someone they start working don't on that. Do that. Now technology. Yes, but PetroBox does have two different levels of subscription to choose from. You have the PetroBox Basic, which costs less than twenty bucks a month, while the PetroBox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month's order. Renee Brinkerhoff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It is great to have you here. You guys, thank you for inviting me. Really glad to be able to share my story on your show. So you are must be busy out of your mind because you are leaving for Antarctica, which is that is the first time I've ever said that to anybody. <laughs> so you're leaving for Antarctica in a week, pretty much. Exactly. A week from tomorrow. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> don't you, get me nervous. <laughs> uh, so uh, have you bought a new coat yet? <laughs> I have bought a new coat, just like you did, right? <laughs> yeah. So what are you doing to prep for, you know, getting ready to go? What are you guys up to right now? I mean, we'll talk about the car and everything else as we go, but what are you doing to prep? Okay. What am I doing to prep? Yeah. For what? For the cold? For driving? Or for what? No, just, just in general, what are you up to? Are you like, I... mm, What are we doing right now? Scrambling, everything. It's really been hard. That sounds so, like, boring. But you got to have your gear, right? Oh, and, yeah. And we're having a really hard time getting gear because of all these shipping problems people are having. And then I'm looking for a very specific type of clothing that there's not a lot of anyway. So it's just taking a lot, lot longer to find things. And then you can't walk in a store and try this stuff on. So you got to, you know, get multiple sizes. So anyway, that's basically that's the mundane part of it. Just trying to get the right gear to stay warm not have frostbite, et cetera, when we're down there. Well, you say that so nonchalantly. That's, <laughs> yeah, we just don't want to get frostbite. We want to make sure we, we have, the, have the right gear. So it sounds like you're really busy, um, which is awesome. It's good to be busy. But before we get into the car stuff, I really want to touch base on your cause, which is Valkyrie Gives. And it, you know, I, I read that 100% of the proceeds for what you're doing are going towards stopping human trafficking, which is phenomenal, um, which I think is interesting because it's like the – Number two underneath drugs is like one of the biggest crimes in the world. You know, it's just, it's just massive, but it seems really, really under the radar. Like you don't hear about it very much. Why do you think that is? Who wants to talk about it? It's not something you want to talk about. True. It's not something you want to look about, look at, not something you want to hear. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And if you start, start trying to imagine what that looks like or what that means, you just want to turn your head and close your ears and not know about it. So I think that's why it's, um, you know, people can talk about drugs, right? That's the biggest business. This one's $150 billion annually, at least. And, um, 
it's horrific. It's this, these are children. These are children. They're having the most terrible things happen to them that you would never want your child or any child to have to go through. Right. So it's just a difficult topic. So obviously, right. Obviously it's a difficult topic and you know, a lot of people turn their faces away from it so they don't have to bear um, the evil of, you know, Even he, thinking about it. Yeah, they don't want to bear the evil of what other human beings are capable of doing to each other, which makes me think, why, what was it, you know, was there something that happened to you or was there like something you experienced or saw that was, you were like, wow, I need to do something about this? Because when you think about as you, as you gain wealth in, in life, you, a lot of people will mentor people or they'll donate to charity or do philanthropy and stuff like that. But very, very few people really get out and, and do something about it. And you have. So what, what, what kind of made that happen for you? Well, we have three things that we're given in this life. We're given our time, we're given talent and resources slash money. Right. And I just believe, I mean, it's just sort of my person and, and my daughter works with me. It's like not to walk through this life and only be thinking about me, myself and I, what is that? What, what kind of purpose is that in life? So we, um, I, I actually, we, we started Project 356 World Rally Tour because I realized this car and the racing and our success, we had a voice and we could use that voice and grow that voice to affect change and affect change in people's lives. And it was during that time when we were first formulating this whole idea of what it would look like, it was what can we do and what should we do? And looking at the different things that were out there that we could voice for or we could raise money for. And I had these things happen in my life that said, okay, this thing is choosing us. This is knocking on our door. And it was child trafficking. So I met a man, an undercover FBI agent. And we, I was actually on a tour bus and he and his fiance were sitting across the aisle. We struck up a conversation and began to tell me what he did. And he told me he's an undercover agent for the FBI looking for people that are making and using and then uh, child pornography and finding the children that are being used for that and making arrests and prosecuting these people. And I had no idea. And he informed me about all of this and told me how child pornography and child trafficking are tied at the hip. They are, were wrapped around each other. And just educated me in very short order of what's happening in our country and what's happening globally. I've never known about this. Sickened me. And I was shocked by it. And I thought, wow, this is something that really, you know, you know, needs a needs needs attention. There's something needs to be done about this. But it wasn't something I wanted to do because I thought, how do you talk about it? Right. You know, I started exploring. How do you talk about this to somebody? How do you broach this topic? And it was like, gosh, like, yeah, that's really awful. And yes, we want to do something, but, right? So then shortly after that, I was on another bus going to pick up a rental car. I sat down, looked over at the man sitting next to me, and there on the face of his phone was a pornographic image of a child. He quick swiped his phone. And I said to myself, this is not a coincidence. What am I going to do about it? So really, it was those two things that was like, this is finding us, and this is what we need to be doing. And that's how this became our raison d'etre. This became what we're calling out people to get involved in. So beyond doing anything with your, with your charity, have you reached out to you know, the United States government? Have you used and, and your representatives to find out what they're doing in Congress? It just seems like I, 
I, I watch the news. I don't hear anybody talking about this. I hear about the war on drugs and an opioid crisis and all this other stuff in the news all the time, but nothing well, about this. Well, well, here's the thing. Um, I did go to Washington, D.C., and we got back from, I don't know, it was the Peking to Paris or one of those events and went directly to Washington. My son had, uh, in my absence, had arranged for these meetings with different congresspeople. And we flew out there and met with them and learned about what's going on in our country and what can be done. And there's a lot that is being done. And um, I don't think people report about it, maybe, or you don't read about it because, again, it's mm-hmm. it's an un it's an untasteful topic, right? But um, the United States is doing an amazing job and we are passing laws and it is a bipartisan push. Um, it's not that we can't do more and we should do more and we can do more. In fact, just recently I've been getting, um, I've been reading all, the, I saw, so if you know you do Google alerts, you can type in what you wanna be alerted about, right? Sure. So I put in child trafficking, I get stuff every single day. And what's really been impressing, uh, what's happening primarily in our country, but then in other countries. And what's really been great that's happening in our country is just like what happened with 9-11 when this agency wasn't talking to that agency and they weren't sharing information. For years, governmental agencies and law enforcement weren't working together, but now they are. So local law enforcement is working with state and is working with federal, and they're working together to find these people and find the children and make arrests. So we are getting great movement and great stuff happening because now they're collaborating. So that's amazing. And then what what I've been thinking about recently is reading these articles is we need to make sure that there's stronger sentences and people aren't plea bargaining down their sentences and these kinds of people aren't being put back on the street. I just read something where this man was accused of this crime and he was getting out in eight days or something and he found he was doing the same thing in jail that he'd been thrown in jail for and they were ready to release him so like wait a minute maybe he should be in jail for life so he doesn't have the opportunity to go out and do that again and i don't care if it's one child anybody that does this to a child one child should not see the light of day they should not have the opportunity to see the light of day and so i just think there needs to be done is something in that arena. And I'm hoping that we can do that when we get back from Antarctica and talk to legislators about um, what we can do to have stronger sentences. But um, I'm just saying, I think of kids as, you know, in terms of the human experience of all of us, everything that we're doing together, children are the only innocent thing about all of it and all of this and the evil corrupting that innocence. Just, it really, it really bothers me. And I really appreciate what you're doing. I think it's really important. How can people uh, help Valkyrie Gives? Well, you can't do anything in this world without money. What can you do? So I can raise awareness and I can educate you and help you learn about that. But that doesn't change what's happening out there in the sense of finding the kids that are being rescued, educating the kids that are being rescued and getting restoring their life. All those things take dollars. So, I mean, we're, we're on a million dollar mission. We've raised a half a million dollars. I mean, we set a goal of a million. Of course we want to exceed that. And we conti- will continue even after reaching that goal to keep, of, keep, of continuing to raise money, right? But every dollar that we have that comes in, goes out, we have no overhead. We have uh, no fees for salaries or buildings. Valkyrie Racing is totally separate and that's sponsored. And so all the money we get in, we go out. 
my understanding from people that are experts in this field, the most of the money that comes in to, to affect change in child trafficking is spent on research. What we support is not research. I think it should be switched instead of 80 for research and 20 for actually having a touch with these kids. It sh we should shift that money to we're supporting organizations that are actually doing the education, doing the rescuing, doing the restoration. And that's who we support. We vet these organizations. We, they have to go through a lot of hoops. We make site visits. We talk to them with, like during COVID, we're doing FaceTime with them. And, and making sure that every dollar has the biggest impact. So we work with grassroots NGOs. I personally have done undercover work and I feel like I don't want to read about what's happening. I want to see what's happening. And so for me, it's important to sit with girls that are actually in real time being trafficked. It's important for me to actually talk face to face to a trafficker and let him think that I am a buyer or with someone who wants to buy. Right to before know you stab him in the heart, I imagine. <laughs> right, <laughs> right before I, uh, right while I'm, I'm videoing and taping his voice of what he's doing yeah. and, the, and the girls, the young girls I'm seeing on his phone. So getting wow. the evidence to give law enforcement. So we teed up so that they can get a warrant and make an arrest. That's and awesome. So, I mean, that's to me, time, talent, resources. And we're so given to this that we're giving all three of those. To and, and you're giving a lot of yourself, too. I mean, going out there and doing that and being involved is incredible. And I saw that you have, uh, if you donate $356, they, there's something about signing your name to the car and getting a hat and, and something like that, correct? Yeah. So, of course, we'll take any, any dollar that you give. But we are having a campaign right now called Donate 356. And so for $356 or more, you can get your name. We'll write your name literally when we get to Chile. We get with the car. We'll write your name inside the hood of the car. And uh, we'll give you one of our exclusive Antarctica Ice Challenge hats. Take a photo of your name on that car. And uh, you'll come alongside us on the ice. How about two hats? Because so, Jake and I are in. We're in for $356. Is that Will two hats work? I think that sounds fantastic. That sounds good. All right. I, we I, would love that. <laughs> all right. We're in for 356 yeah. bucks. Where can everybody else uh, donate? Where do they go? They just go to our website. It's right there, ValkyrieRacing.com. Uh, there's all the donate information is on there, or Valkyrie Racing slash donate, or Valkyrie Racing slash donate three five six. There's so many different ways to, okay. to access that. But well, we'll put yeah. the link in the show notes for everybody to go check it out, even if it's a small amount of money. Um, like Renee said, money money matters. Money is time. It allows people time to do things. So head yeah. over there. Donate what you can. We're gonna we're gonna get we'll be in for the three fifty six three hundred fifty six dollars and uh, help out the best you can. We really appreciate you guys doing that. All right, um, I'm imagining fifty seven year old Renee Brinkerhoff deciding that she wants to go race on the La Carrera Panamericana, and I'm trying to figure out how this how this happened. What 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 was the catalyst in your mind that a woman who'd never raced anything before never done anything like this before all of a sudden began fantasizing about torturing herself out on the road <laughs> in a car with no heat no air conditioning uh no power steering no no safety no abs no trash control nothing what made you want to do that <laughs> you just said it what put that in your mind what was that it really was something in my mind i had been telling myself for decades one day i'm going to race a car i could have said one day i'm going to open an ice cream shop I have no that would be idea. easier. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. I do not know why I said race the car, but I t realized at, literally in my mid fifties, I realized that I'd been having the subconscious conversation. One day I'm going to race a car, 
And I think it was something I said when maybe life was tough. I don't know. And it was something to look forward to. And literally, it could have been go to the moon. It could have been anything. And when I realized I'd been saying this, it's like, oh, my gosh, what in the world have you been telling yourself? Now you got to go do it. So I thought I'll go do it and get that off whatever that was, whatever that meant, whatever the reason was I was supposed to say that or said that and check that box and now go enjoy having some free time after homeschooling four kids and, and, and doing all that madness in my life. So it really was just getting rid of that thing I'd been telling myself and I had no idea that I would continue doing that I would be here today it really was check the box, go to a race, go on with life. Were cars a part of your life before this? I mean, were you a big car enthusiast or did you grow up around cars or was this just kind of totally out of left field? This is totally out of left field. I wasn't, I'm not one of those ladies that you talked to that said that they hid their cars under their b- pillow or they looked at their dad's, <laughs> look at, looked at their dad's car magazine. I had none of that. I had none of that. I remember in high school, I loved driving my VW souped up bug really fast. But other than that, you know, I had no passion for cars. I'd never watched a car race, television or otherwise. And I didn't know about the types of racing. I didn't know about cars. So it really was some weird harebrained idea I'd been telling myself. So then that brings up the next question. How the heck did you decide on a Porsche 356 then? My husband's cousin said, come on over. Let's have a barbecue. He lived in Ojai, California. He said, I just got this car that I'm going to restore or something. And it was at the same time that I told myself that I had to go do this race a car thing. We went over there. I pulled up into his gravel driveway and there was this Porsche 356 sitting there. I'd never seen one in my life. And I fell in love with the way that car looked. I said, that's the car I want to drive. It literally was like seeing it and saying, that's it. Well, when you saw it, you didn't know. I mean, this, this is a great car to do what you're doing. I mean, obviously you have uh, you have a 911, which has more power, and, and, and which is great, especially if you're you're you know trying to climb some of the hills in mud or anything like that. I, I imagine it would be great to have more power, but the 356 as a as a tool for this type of exploration and racing that you're doing is very good. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea that the La Carrera Panamericana Porsche had named two cars after that race: the Carrera, the Panamericana. I had no idea about the kind of car I was getting or the history of that car, or what it could or what it couldn't do. I just loved the way it looked. And then when I got into it and I heard it and sound, it reminded me of my souped up VW Bug, and I just fell in love with it. That's really how simple it was. So how do you get from that point of like going for a first test drive in that thing to basically becoming the leader of Valkyrie Racing? Because you're going to have to learn a lot of leadership along the way. Did that kind of stuff come naturally to you? Oh, gosh, that's a, such a good question. I don't know, because I had to find a navigator and a crew and develop a car. And um, it just seemed to fit. It just worked. I just, I love it. I was passionate about it. And I think that made it easy. I've made mistakes along the way. Um, it makes obviously. the mistakes palatable if you're passionate. You know, it's easy, yeah, it to, it's easy to take them as learning experiences rather than defeats. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest mistakes, and if I can just be frank, the biggest mistakes I've made in this whole journey is who I've put in the car next to me when I'm racing. And, uh, and the biggest things I did right was who I put in the car next to me um, when I'm racing. That's such a key person, right? That navigator. But um, right. yeah, it was a learning curve. I'm a really great learning curve, but I, I got found people that were passionate about what I was doing right from the get go. And that was super important that 
They cared about the project. We connected together. We had great synergy and it was collaborative that I could dialogue with them and learn and make decisions and uh, have this great kind of uh, teamwork. So I imagine what I would do if, if I was you back then, and I'm nowhere near, obviously, as much of an exploration seeker as you are, is I would say, well, I'm going to take this 356 and I'm going to go do some autocross. You know, that, that'll that get my racing like out of a, the way. Like a baby step. Yeah, I'll do a baby step first. But you went to the La Carrera Pan America, which is, you know, it's right up there as one of the hardest races that there is, period, period, yeah. bar none, for, for like a, a, a gentlewoman racer to do. Yeah, I had no, I had no idea what I was getting into. How how did you I, uh, decide on it? Like, where did this come from? It was literally just like I found my car. It was, I got on the internet. I, I you know, I heard about rally racing. I thought racing on a track sounded boring. It's not, but it sounds boring <laughs> if you don't know what it is, right? It sounds boring. Yeah, Driving around and around and around. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. It sounds boring. Who wants to do that? Right. So I thought someone said there's rally racing. So I thought, oh, that's really interesting. What is that? And then someone mentioned, uh, I had to find something I could put that car in. And there was nothing in the United States. And someone said, there's this race in Mexico. So I literally wrote in the search on the internet, like rally racing Mexico. And up popped La Carrera Panamericana. I read the first few sentences. I said, that sounds great. That's the race I'm going to do. I had no idea, again, of the history of the race or, or Porsches and the significance for my little car or anything about the danger. I knew nothing. I just said, that sounds like a good race. I'm going to do that. One. Had you known, had you known, had it, had it, had you known how dangerous and arduous it would be ahead of time? Obviously, now you know the reward of the sacrifice you made to do it, right? You know. Mm-hmm. So it might be mm-hmm. hard to say, but had you known how hard it would be, gonna, was going to be or if you knew what the race was like, would you still have done it? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Literally, the first day I was behind that wheel, my body was uncontrollably shaking. I couldn't stop it. No matter how what I said in my head to try to, to, try to get my body to quit shaking, it didn't stop shaking. What were you and scared it was, of? I was going to be racing a car. I was facing this mountain. I was at the, we were going to be going up into this mountain on these curvy roads and I was going to be going as fast as I could. And there are no guardrails and there are all these cliffs and there's animals that show up out of nowhere. I mean, it was super dangerous because I navigated the day before. So what actually happened was I found the car, decided on the race. And I said, okay, before I go change this car, being sensible, I said, I better find out if I can even do this thing. So I, um, the guy, the people that I bought my car from sold me a, like a beautiful picture and underneath everything was wrong mechanically. So I immediately I met this mechanic. I sent an email and I said, I want to do this race. Do you know anybody? He got back to me and said, I actually have a client who was going to go this year. It's the 25th anniversary. His partner just bailed on him. He really wants to go. You should talk to him. And because I had said, I will make sandwiches, I'll clean, clean windshields, I'll do, I'll be your go-to person, whatever. I want to be on somebody's team, learn about this race, and then I'll decide, are you crazy or are you really going to do this? And, and I found out about this person. I contacted them. I met him. I met his wife. And he was so desperate to go down there. He agreed to have a woman who had never driven in a race before, was going to the law career with him to have a seat in the car and to both navigate and drive. So the first day I navigated, the second day I got to sit behind the wheel. And that's when I just had this uncontrollable shaking in my body. The first day, which was when I navigated, someone died. 
we drove by a car in a field as we're zipping by. It's rolled over, and there were two brothers, and one of them was dead. Um, three days later, um, cars were on fire. People were getting medevaced out. They're going off cliffs. And um, it really was jumping in the deep end, but it, it was the most amazing thing. It changed me. It enlivened me. It, it was so life-changing. I call it this a metamorphosis that I just had to go back, and I was going to go back in my car, and I was going to go race for La Carrera. So, you know, you think about the dangers and stuff like that. How did how did you reconcile the fear and, and do it anyway? Because you could have walked away at any point. You could have done that co-driver thing and saw the guy that died and been like, you know what? I can't do this. Why did you, why did you push forward? What was the, what was the driving force there? Because like I said, in hindsight, now, you know, you know, the reward, Mm -hmm. but at the time you didn't, how did you convince yourself to keep going? Mm -hmm. So I share a quick story. My sister-in-law asked me after I'd been racing two or three years at the La Carrera and she said, Renee, are you afraid? And I said, yes. And she said, why are you going? And I said, because fear is not going to win. I'm going to conquer that fear. Fear is not going to control me. And I think that was so much of it is I wasn't going to not do it because I was afraid. I had to go do it because I was afraid. I'm still afraid of that race. So it is. it was something. And, and then in the whole process of overcoming that fear and pushing through that fear, I have experienced all these strengths and things that come out of you to overcome and to succeed that I could not ever grab. Um, to like tap into or experience if I didn't do that same thing. I never experienced that kind of strength and energy and feeling of power, I guess you could say, except for in those moments when I'm pushing through fear, facing it and pushing my boundaries and stretching myself in that kind of way. It's, I wonder it's if anybody else off. that's the people that have, you know, been racing all their lives, they've been, you know, they, they grew up with cars under their pillow, reading their dad's road and track magazines, right? Those guys have been around cars or maybe ladies have been around cars their whole life and they've been leading up to this and, you know, kind of doing different things. Maybe it, I'm wondering if your contrast and your fear is so much more, uh, is so much broader than theirs because they've been around the cars, they've been doing everything like you getting in that car with no experience, having all of that fear and then conquering it and doing it must be a, the, the breadth of that must be far greater than, than most other people because just of the shock of it happening to you. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just, uh, and, and I'm, just that, I'm just that kind of a person, though. If I'm afraid of something. I feel like I need to go try it. I need to go do it. That's not everything in life, but a lot of things, like going down and talking to traffickers or walking into brothels and looking for young girls or boys. Those are hard things. They're, they're stopping you. They're checking your bag. You know you've got a hidden camera in there. Um, there's, I just think there's, uh, I think God makes us certain ways. And when you find, when you actually step out and push yourself, you find these things about yourself you didn't know. And that's something I've learned about myself. I didn't know. And I found that through racing. That's awesome. So you've done the La Carrera Pan America, Peking to Paris. You did the Carrera Pan America twice. Sounds like Target Tasmania, Grand Prix South America, East African Safari Classic. And the one that I've always wanted to do is the Peking to Paris and talk to me uh, well, talk me and specifically my co-host Jake, who has a lot more money than me. <laughs> talk us into doing it. Make make us want to do it. What is this event like, Peking to Paris? Okay. First of all, I want to tell you, we've done the law career five times. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> Twelve in that in someone else's car. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen in my car. Fifteen is when we had the big accident, and then seventeen in my car. 
Yes. Wow. <laughs> I just I just had to put that. No, out there. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was perspective. Correct the record, correct yeah. the record for sure. <laughs> for sure. Wow. the record, right? Okay. So peaking to Paris. Why should I talk you into doing the peaking to Paris? Why oh. should you? I, I guess I don't really need talking into. That's just my way of saying. <laughs> just tell me it's amazing and and convince Jake to take me with him. <laughs> okay, I will tell you what I think about, like, of all the races I've done, that's not one I would talk you into. Oh, okay. really? Why is that? No, because much of it is gentleman racing. Mm. It's not like the La Carrera where you're flat out, you know, focused. But like I call it the Trinity: you, your car, your navigator. Click, click, click on the edge, on the edge, cutting it, you know, like pushing, pushing and, and, and all that exhilaration. It's a different format. It's a different kind of an event. The most magnificent part of that event and the why I would do it again, if I ever did it again, would be to drive through Mongolia. Hmm. That is the best part of that whole, whole race. It's just unbelievable. Um, so. I, you know, Caminos del Inca in Peru, I would absolutely tell you to go do that. East African Safari Rally, absolutely tell you. Those things are super challenging. Those things will get your attention and change your world. Um, Peking to Paris will change your world because of what you're seeing of the world. You're going through all those countries. You're seeing different peoples and places, and you're connecting with people through your car. It's an old car. People, there's something about old cars when they see them. It just puts a smile on their face. And they want to engage you and talk about it because a lot of those cars they've never seen before and they won't ever see, see again. So um, other than Mongolia and some experiences in Russia um, and then those people experiences with people, if you're just looking for an amazing kind of uh, like racing experience, that wouldn't be that. If you want to do an amazing experience with your car and, and interface with cultures, then I would recommend the Peking to Paris. So you mentioned Peru. How is it getting cars out of customs in Peru? Uh, don't use the broker we used. <laughs> <laughs> Your daughter mentioned to ask you about that story. What happened in oh Peru? Oh, my gosh, Peru. So a car got, you know, you always want to get your car there early because you got to get through customs, right? And things happen. So you, things take longer on the boat or things take longer in customs. So the car was there a couple months. And it was the day of the opening of the race. So you have to be at the ceremonial start to be able to start the race in the morning. That's the official start the night before. And we still didn't have our car. We didn't have our car. We didn't have our parts. And, uh, we, I mean, we were just, did everything we could. I guess, you know, maybe we just didn't pay the right people. We, we weren't paying people money. It was really uh, knowing the culture, and, and it truly was having the wrong broker. We got the car out of customs, and I was racing through Peru, uh, literally cutting through traffic and everything, and literally got to that ceremonial place at the right time to start the next morning at the skin of our teeth, and really skin of our teeth. And it was really Porsche Peru, those people in that office that just went through all these hoops with us, Got, all this paperwork had to be done, getting people to open their doors when the offices were closed. They made it happen for us. And then we started that race and we had no parts. We didn't have tires. We didn't have jets. We didn't have tools. We had nothing. All we had was the car. And we were leaving Lima and heading up into the Andes and we had nothing but the car. So, and it took, it took a couple more days to get that stuff. And again, it was paying bribes, uh, Porsche Peru helping us with that, getting all that stuff. That my mechanic was up till two o'clock in the morning, hand opening 
the jets, figuring out what jet for the altitude we were going to and doing with a little tiny like tool, opening that up to try to get it the right opening, bringing the car up in the literally in the middle of like two or three in the morning for us to get in that car about five in the morning to start that race. We'd gone up to a higher altitude with the race and that's where the start was. And then we were just going up into those elevations up to 16,000 feet. So, um, yeah, I had, had, an, had amazing mechanics throughout all of this and people with determination and passion, they can together, you can do fantastic stuff. Yeah. Anytime the machines are at their limit, you know, as, as much as you prep, you want to prep as much as you can. You spend a year getting that car ready. It's still probably at some point in one of the ra- these races is going to break. You know, how do you deal with some of this in some of these remote places? It's not like you're going to walk over to O'Reilly Auto Parts in the middle of Argentina or Peru and get an <laughs> axle for this thing. How do you deal with any of that? No. So you just bring everything you conceivably think might happen to the car, right? And You put it in uh, the car, like in the trunk, or where does this stuff go? Mm, so we just have, you know, we, we when you ship your car on a boat, right, a freighter, you have to get a container, a metal container, and we just get one a little bigger than the car, and we put everything in there. We get a, an engine, and we strap it down onto a crate, and we get tubs and put tools and parts in it. And just when you get there, you rent a, you rent a van or a truck, and you throw all that stuff in the back of it, and off you go. Fingers crossed the whole way. I mean, that's <laughs> So have you, in, anytime you're at the limit, too, with driving, there are oh shit moments. Have you had anything, <laughs> any close calls? I've had a lot of those. Um, so, uh, in my, uh, I remember being in Mil Cumbres in Mexico. And Mil Cumbres is, I think it means like a thousand turns or, so I think that's what that means. And it's, they, the drivers, it's the experience is like skiing moguls. The way that the roads are banked, it's it's a really old road. It's an, I think it's the old road to Mazatlan, and it, every corner is banked and it's like swishing. If you get it right with your car, you're swishing. But just like moguls, if you get it wrong, you're off, right? And um, and then there's water because there's um, waterfalls and water that comes down the, the mountainsides and comes across the road. And then there's moss. So I remember doing 180s and going, we, we almost went off. You know, and those were great. And then, you know, having going off one one race, we went off the the road because someone was in front of us dripping all their fluids. They had leaks and they were driving the line, racing the line, dripping their fluids. And about five cars went off and ours was one of them. But we were able to get it fixed and it wasn't anything too serious. But then in 2015, um, the car almost went off a cliff and I kept it in. And then I'm looking in front of me and people always watch the race on the most dangerous places right so you're on this next corner and in front of you are maybe 20 20 20, 25 people from little kids to grandpas and you're headed straight for them and i ended up turning the car and flipping it and having a took two days to put it back together but um i'm glad you didn't have to put yourself back together yeah well you know what i yeah, we there was a cliff. We almost went off the cliff is what that one was. And that wouldn't have been good. I don't know if we would have gone home on that one. So mm-hmm. you never know. Sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. But um, and, and the risk is worth it for you. The risk is worth it. Yeah, I that's part of it, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I, I thought this guy came down. I talked to him for several months before he went to the La Carrera because he wanted to you know, some help. And I was sharing with him all the ins and outs of the race to help him have a successful race. And he got down there and I don't even know if he raced the first day. I think he must've raced the first day. He went home. 
He put his car on the trailer and he went home. He said, this is too crazy for me. I'm not doing it. I wonder if he wow. regrets so, it now in hindsight going home. I bet he does because you don't have to go flat out. I mean, you can take on what you want to take on and you can you can bite off what you want to bite off. So, um, well, maybe if you're doing that, at least from my perspective, I would be going into it with a kind of a, a Peking to Paris thing. I don't I'm not super competitive in that way. I would just want I'm in it for the exploration of it. Maybe mm. he maybe he's was in it for the competition of it, but didn't want the ego hit of for his own personal ego to not compete at a level that he wanted to compete at. So he just pulled out. Maybe yeah, that could be it. Yeah. Or maybe he was looking more for a cultural experiencer. I don't know, but um, you, it's just it, different strokes for different folks. For right? sure. For sure. So with one more thing before we get into Antarctica, uh, Christina also said to ask you about the African black cotton mud and what that's like to race through. I'm guessing awful. If she, if she, if she, if she mentioned awful. it. Awful. What is it? So in East Africa, everyone will tell you that's been down there or has heard about it. Watch out for the black cotton. <laughs> well, it's a kind of mud that just sucks you in and there's no way to get out. That's all I can say. It's just like the worst. There's all different kinds of muds that you encounter down there. And that's the worst of all of them. Okay. And what's crazy is like, if you're driving here and you know, we're used to the, what dirt looks like here, right? Well, dirt looks different down there. So I remember racing and it looks like, okay, that's wet. And if I go over there, that's going to be dry because of the color of it. Right. And the way it reflected light and all, no, that was even worse. <laughs> that was worse stuff. <laughs> you know? So you, you think you're missing the bad stuff and you get even worse stuff. And it was like, oh my gosh. This reminds just... me of the shows I watch with my kids on Nova. It'll be like the great African safari and there's like an antelope like stuck in the mud and the lions are just like walking around it just waiting for the thing to run out of energy. Yeah, oh that was your gosh. 356. <laughs> oh, brother. Oh. So you've done all of these rallies on all the different continents and then at some point you realize there's one left i actually could do every single continent oh right well no when we started off we were going to do every continent that was the goal project 356 world rally tours race one car on every continent had no idea what it meant to race in antarctica didn't know that there weren't any races in antarctica (laughs) so we had to create our own race quasi race which is racing the elements right challenging the elements and uh the toughest one of all honestly yeah it'll be the toughest one so why why is no why is my first question why is it hard no why go to antarctica yeah what's the deal why why every continent where did that come from it was just like we wanted to take our voice we wanted to have change we wanted to have a a goal like a philanthropic something we could do to change the world right and we did we decided on child trafficking and it was okay well this is a global problem so we're going to race the car on every planet i mean not every planet on well, every hey, continent that's send it to mars send a picture to elon maybe he'll launch that 356 to mars doesn't it look like it should go to mars it does, <laughs> it does. it's absolutely wild so when i first saw the 356 with the treads and the and the skis. I'm like, wow, that is a really cool render. I mean, you see renders of cars all the time on Instagram. Like, wow, that's really cool. And I looked at it, I'm like, cool render. And then I saw it again. I'm like, wait a second. That's actually real? Which I'm imagining. What was your first experience like seeing that car with the treads and the skis and everything else for the first time after racing in it all these years? 
Oh my gosh. I'm literally my mouth dropped. The jaw dropped. I was stunned. I just could not believe it. I, I had, they, so we went to see the car before we put it in the container to ship it to Chile. They had it behind a big black drape, right? Curtain. They threw it back and there was the car. They had it all lit. And literally Christine and I were just stunned. We were speechless. We couldn't believe it. It's so cool. It is so amazingly cool. And then to know that it actually drives and it's going to, it's this amazing engineering feat that Karen's done and where it's going to go. It was just, it was, it just stopped us in our steps. And you guys installed heat, right? I mean, it's a heater box, right? You're joking. There is no (laughs) heater in the car. Really? No, no heater. heater in the car. They don't want the Jake. They didn't put a heater in the car. And our car, okay. no heat. Why? No heater. Do okay. they? Do they even? Okay. So we have old 911s that have like heater boxes off of the exhaust headers. Does it even have that? No, that's the carbon monoxide insertion into the car. Yeah, so. exactly. That's <laughs> yeah. what that is. No, and, and there's a re, there is an actual practical reason. If you get stuck, if something happens, and you have to step out of your car. How am I going to, in that little car, because in that little car, we're going to have two tents, two sleeping bags, two sets of cooking gear, food for two people, clothes for two people. How would I now put on my snow pants, my all my layers, put on my snow boots, put on all my coats? How can I do that? I can't do that. I have to wear on the car what I would step out of the car. And when I step out of the car, I checked the temperature, what, two days ago, minus 70. Okay. So, so, and it can be winds up to 190. I immediate frostbite. I have to wear in the car what I would step out of the car and need to be wearing. So why put a heater in? It's not going to, you can't wear all that stuff with a heater on. Wow. Well, at least you'll be out of the wind. (laughs) That's like, kind of like saying, well, it's a dry heat. (laughs) So how does the car even get there? Is it, is it ship or does it fly in a plane? No, it goes on the slow boat to China, the slow boat to Chile. It's so it took two months. Just put it in its little metal container and put it on one of those freighter ships, those shipping containers, ships, right? Yeah. And off it goes. It goes and went through the Panama Canal and worked its way down South America. And it may actually be in Antarctica now. I don't know. It's going to go ahead of us as soon as they have a space on that cargo plane to take it down. They'll They'll slip it in okay. there, and then it'll be waiting for us. It'll either be in Chile or Antarctica. I'm not sure. But once it gets to Chile, I mean, that's still a ways from Antarctica. So do they have to fly it from Chile to Antarctica? Exactly. So, yeah, because you can't. Uh, there's no port, the, right? There's there's no port where we're going. It's in the interior. It's Union Glacier. So you have to fly it in, and so you fly in on a Russian cargo plane. Okay. And so the plane is going to land, right? It's not just going to like shoot it out the back like they do with <laughs> <laughs> like they did like the AC1 or the the C130s with the military where they just shoot the Humvees out the back. They're going to land and unload the unload the car and everything, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, they're going to land on it's called a blue ice runway. The land the land on a blue ice runway. And they support all the expedition teams down there and the scientists. They bring in the food and fuel and all the stuff everybody needs and that's what we'll come in on so you're just timing your arrival on when one of those shipments is is going to going to the i guess the the continent slash island yeah exactly yeah we just schedule a spot so how did you how do you pick your course where you're going to go so you're going to drive 356 miles that's how far it is to my parents house on the freeway and by the time i get there i'm done i don't want to be (laughs) driving i don't want to be driving anymore what's your terrain like how did you choose it so Jason, do you know about Jason? I Jason do not. de Carteret. Jason de Carteret is a polar explorer. 
who has been to the North and the South Pole three or four times each one of those. And he's led over 50 expeditions. He's cross-country skied it. He has the world record of driving to the South Pole twice. He made the record and then broke his record. He did that with our, our uh, engineer, our car engineer, uh, who, by the way, stepped out of the truck that they were driving to the South Pole, fell through a, into a crevasse and had to quickly scramble out. So he's advised that we tether ourselves to the car when we get out. Wow. Um, so anyway, the, the route will be, we will head toward the South Pole and we will, we're going to just make a big loop. And Jason, who has skied it, knows the terrain and is going to help us navigate where we can and cannot go. And because there's crevasse fields and all sorts of hidden dangers and, um, he will be the guy saying, we're going to try this place and we're not going to go that place. And we'll get out of the car and check the car every hour. We'll check, you know, look at the route and what's out there. And the weather can change in a minute. It can be a bluebird day to a total whiteout. We don't know what the sky is. You don't know what the land is. And the winds are literally creating walls of ice that you cannot even see that are like hitting concrete. What's the emergency so, plan? Uh, the emergency plan. The car breaks find- down or someone's ill or something happens. Like, how do you yeah. get, what do you do? We did an article about a, uh, a vehicle that was designed <laughs> to go drive across Antarctica and ended up being a horrible experiment. And they just left it there. Right. And they, someone said they saw it like floating out on an iceberg somewhere. That no, the, what do no, you- <laughs> no, I don't get to do that. If the car is such that, <laughs> if the car is such that it can't be driven back to Union Glacier, then I have to pay for some kind of special vehicle to get nothing will be left on the ice nothing we have to bottle we have to bottle our our secretions let's call it that sure (laughs) nothing nothing can be left on the ice so um and and what is the emergency plan uh we will wait out the weather if if we have a sat phone and we will call for help at uh, Union Glacier. And But I just signed the waiver and it said, just realize it's very limited emergency services. And we may or may not be able to get to you. and it, Or it, when they get to you will be when they get to you. Right. So um, that's just part of it. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I think of Antarctica and I think of nothing out there and then maybe i guess one scientific like little pod in the middle of nowhere and like one square mile where penguins are filmed right basically. exactly yeah yeah <laughs> so what are the resources there i mean are there permanent residents how many scientific bases are there what what is it like mm, so they so all the animals you see are on the coast which is not where we're going to be there won't even be an insect where we are and there, but there are definitely stations that different countries have. The U S has the station at the South pole and they're just scattered around Antarctica. Antarctica is larger than the United States and one third of Canada, I think is what that is. It's massive. And, um, those are scientific stations. Most of those people do, most of those people leave. So we're going in the summer. So it's all daylight. Most of the people leave after summer and they're not there in the winter. I think there's a handful of people that actually stay there year round. Um, And then there's just just these different bases. And the base that we're going to is the one that supports expeditions and sort of like short-term scientific projects and people that um, want to climb the highest mountain in Antarctica or have some kind of excursion that they want to do, ski to the South Pole or something like that. Well, Renee, you are an incredible, brilliant, uh, charitable woman. I think what you're doing is amazing. I wish you 
Godspeed on your journey. I hope you'll come back on when you get back. I'd love to have a little recap of your experience. Um, good luck. I, I, I'll be I'll be thinking of you. I'll be watching uh, your Instagram and seeing where everything is going. And I really appreciate you hanging out with us here today. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Really love talking to you guys. And we, when we come back, we absolutely love to tell you what's going on. And what happened and what everything. Tell your story. It would be great. And I, as you know, I'm going down with Christina. You've mentioned her name. She's my daughter. Yep. She takes a lot of those amazing still photographs that you, uh, we all get to enjoy. And uh, yeah, so we get to go do this together, which is super special. It is. It's, it's incredibly unique. I have two daughters and, and we've done a few small journeys together. I can only imagine the bond that you guys have doing this. Is, stuff must be great. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, you guys. Yep, take care. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, Jake, uh, Peking to Paris. Let's go. Let's do yeah, it. Let's... She said that that's not the one to do, I though. I know, so, but I don't no, have. Guess not. She is far more competitive than I am. I don't want to go flat out. I just want to. I just. Are we taking okay, your car? So he... No, you've got to buy one. You've got to buy. Oh, we should I take see, your I car. See. Your car need, is is way more compatible. With, <laughs> it's already got skip plates. It's already got angle iron welded to the floor. Yeah, this is great. Just... All right, before we talk about this a little bit more, what have you got for us? Yeah, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Oberk Car Care. Oberk is your source of professional detailing compounds and supplies that's research tested and developed by professional detailers themselves. These are the guys that are passionate about detailing and do it in their spare time so they know firsthand what makes a good product. And they are great products. They're made right here in the USA, researched and developed right here. We're friends with the guys. This isn't some mystery massive corporation right, in China right. or something. They're great guys. They support the show. They you know, support the rally. It's, it's great. Absolutely. And right now they're offering a whopping 20% off your next order when you use the code OVERCREST. That code is good not only on OBERCCARCARE.com, but also on DetailedImage.com and CarSuppliesWarehouse.com. Go check it out today. So I want to go because I want to, I just, I don't have that competitive. I don't need to win. She goes out, wins her class first year. That's nuts. That's crazy, right? Building that team. I, there's, that's not for me. Yeah. That's not for me. I can't, I can't do that. I, neither one of us has the money to do that, to, to have a race team. It just isn't Can we possible. do it in like an old beetle? You can do it in anything. Okay. You know, I've just, from what I've heard from talking to other people that have done the picking to Paris is something with, um, with that little of power yeah. is difficult to deal with. I see. It's, you just need a little bit more power. That's where a 911 comes in and it's a little bit Do we better. have to ship it to the start or can we just like go out there and buy something and then drive it? It's something that's going to need a lot of prep. You need to okay. weld in a full roll cage. You need to have a built motor. You need to have race suspension. I would like to do it in, I would like to do it in like a Unimog or something. Like I would just that like. That seems easy actually it seems easier i just want to experience it i would, I would want to do it in a doing, sports car uh, maybe like oh you know what else would be good is like a like a 510 or maybe yeah. an audi 4000 quattro sure or just something like that would be great i think a 911 is too expensive i think right. it's too that's expensive. my problem with it um i was told that you have these to do it on a budget i think it would is like 10 to fifteen thousand dollars plus okay. car Right. Plus car. Plus car. Okay. Plus car. And someone's like, you got to put all your parts in there and tires and everything. After, everything has to get piled on the car. So you need something a little bigger then. Yeah, and you got to be able to put new tires on on the side of the road. So, so you, you need, need like tools. tools. You need lots of tools. One guy like got hit in the head with an alternator that was in his back seat, took his ear off. That's not good. Not good. But hey, imagine if you could be if you had no ear. Right. You, oh no, what happened to your ear? Yeah, I was in Mongolia. Oh, so you're saying it's worth it. 
I would lose my ear to go on. <laughs> I, I would do it. I think I would. I'd be willing to make that sacrifice. You it's like kidneys. You only need one. It's fine. Uh, you can still hear. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. As long as I could still, if I had like a little hole in the side of my head, that would be okay. I think I could still, I could still handle it. I'm just saying. This is coming from the audiophile, mind yes, you. Yeah. This is something that I think would be, <laughs> would be incredible to do. Maybe someday down the road, it'll be something that's, that is, uh, that is accomplished. I know. We'll do it in a Yugo. Oh, no, dude. <laughs> no way. What's the, what is the Yugo's Zastavi or whatever yeah, it's called? Yeah, yeah. The little four-wheel drive thing. You know what we could do it in? What? The Trooper. Sure. Legit. Sure. Ship it's a that full, thing over. It's a full frame. It's uh-huh. going to have a TDI swap, so it's going to get good fuel no, I economy. I want to do it in a car. I know. A car is a little bit... See, the thing is, is you're thinking, I want to be challenged. This must... It's no, gonna... I'm just thinking, like, this is rally, not off-roading. Right? There's, there's a distinction in my mind. That's true. That's very, very true. I think doing it in an SUV with, you know, locking differentials would, would be far easier. Have you seen Long Way Around? I've not yet. Oh, you got to watch that. You know, I've been I've been reaching out to Yeah, those uh, guys doing it on two wheels. Right. Yeah. I reached out and said, "Hey, I really would like to have you on the podcast." He's like, "Yep, yeah, sorry, I can't. I can't I'm mind blanking on his name right, right now. What's Ewan his McGregor. name?" Ewan McGregor. I called up his agent. I'm like, "I would love to have Ewan on to talk about uh, you know, all the motorcycle journeys and stuff like that." She's like, "Sorry, he's in production right now. We can't. He does not have time." Yeah, cuz they're doing another one. Another what? Aren't they? Oh, you're just talking a movie in general. Yeah, he's just, there's two of those. There's two. Long there's way round. Long way up is on Apple Plus. Okay, not as good. Okay. It seems a little bit uh, overproduced. I think the first ones that they did where they're just them just going yeah. to do it, not like this thing that was like paid for by Harley Davidson and Rivian, oh, okay. which is kind of what it seems like. <laughs> just the, their biggest challenge, it seems, was um, altitude sickness and uh, the batteries going dead on the on the bikes on the bikes, which mm. is like. Eh, Doing it in Africa and going across Mongolia on a motorcycle was there was some seriously challenging things that they had I to deal imagine. with. Imagine it looked incredible. I want to do something like I that. I love how Renee is talking about jet changes. Now they had to like bore out their own jets because their they parts had didn't none. get there because they're going from yeah three thousand feet of elevation to sixteen thousand feet oh. of elevation where that thing has like twelve horsepower. Right, and I'm imagining that's where it comes in having more horsepower to begin with. Now I, I with my 911, I've got. A lot of power. I've got more power. So I've got, at the at the time for the story I'm going to explain, I had around 230 horsepower. Okay. My buddy Steve had uh, 2.7 with 330,000 miles on it, uh, 2.7 liter flat six right. engine. So I had a lot more power. Okay. And we went from, uh, which was probably 3,000 feet of elevation to 12,000 feet of elevation. Right. I didn't change anything. Right. I just did. I could tell that it was rich, and I was until I was down on power, he was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I cannot move. He's back there like filling with the CIS. That was like CIS. my car getting to the rally this last year, going over I-70 Eisenhower Pass, and I didn't change jetting. Was it rough? It was terrible. Yeah, you should have just changed it. I know I should have. Yeah, I did it. I did it when I got into Denver. I changed the jetting for the rest of the time. I went one size down. Yeah, that was been great. Ideal. It was great. Obviously, I noticed that there was a little bit less power. Right, but, but at least it's running well. But it's running well, and you're not, you don't want to drive like that you can I, wash your cylinders. You can wash your cylinders I out know. over time. Yeah. I think it's you have to be really rich to do any right. significant damage. But over time, you can definitely do that. You should have. I told you to do it. I, I said, bring know. your jets. Change I up. had them with me. It takes five minutes. I know. It's so. No, so why didn't you do it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Chris. I don't know. <laughs> All right, guys. That's it for this week. I think next week we've got a, a story from Jake. Yeah. And it is awesome. I saw it. It is incredible. <laughs> it is the wildest. I feel like I need a snort. 
at least several ounces of cocaine before I listen to you tell me the story. Would that be accurate? The, yes, that would be. All right. I'll, if anybody has any cocaine, our address. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 if Chris was on cocaine, yeah. I would probably be on par with your energy level. Yeah, to be there honest. you go. And I'm down today. I'm sick. So I am too. still I'm a little bit under the weather, but I'm here. Your butt faucet is better. Yes. You're more also- or less. <laughs> more or less. Yes. <laughs> all right, guys. That's all we have time for today. Uh, head over to overcrestproduction.com slash drivers, drivers club. club. Support the show. Check out the YouTube. I haven't talked about that on the on the podcast at all. Yeah, you've been doing a Overcrest lot. Productions YouTube. You can check that out. I would really appreciate your support there. If you haven't seen that, go over there and sub. You know, you can only ask people to do so many things. Right. With all the things There's that we're doing. There's too many calls to action there here. Are, you need we, to focus. With the rally, the, the the Drivers Club, the podcast, the YouTube channel. No, but we have a lot to offer. We have a lot to offer. We've got a lot going on. We would really like you to support the show. It's only 5 bucks. You can head over there and do that and get free t-shirts. You can get free prints depending Exclusive on your level. Exclusive content. All right, guys. We're going to go on mic right after this, actually, and talk to those guys exclusively. Yeah, we are absolutely going to do that. All right, that's it for now. We will see you guys next week with Jake's cocaine-fueled <laughs> episode. <laughs> Take care.